Hello and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Andrew Curry, head of central data for ExxonMobil. In this episode, Andrew shares with us how ExxonMobil uses data and analytics to reduce its carbon footprint, the future of Gen AI as he sees it, and why it's imperative to see data as an enabler to business capabilities. So please enjoy this interview between Andrew Curry and your host, Steve Hamm. Dive deep into the world of apps and generative AI at Snowflake Build 2023. This December, developers, data scientists, engineers, and startups will have access to exclusive sessions focused on building apps, data pipelines, and machine learning workflows in the age of generative AI and LLMs. Discover how to use the latest Snowflake innovations through product deep dives, demos, and hands-on labs. Learn more and register for a build event in your region at snowflake.com slash build. Andrew, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Our podcast listeners are familiar with ExxonMobil, of course. It has got this huge global footprint in oil and gas exploration, refining and distribution. I understand that there's been a bold restructuring with the company realigning itself into three business units. Please tell us about the central IT organization and how it fits into the restructuring and the role that IT plays in the company's overall business strategy. Sure, I think that's a great question. And it's really exciting times. This this restructuring is really an opportunity for ExxonMobil to fully leverage our corporate scale. You know, we're a Fortune 10 company and we want to really make sure we're using that full size of the corporation. In addition to that, we're really taking advantage of kind of the shifting trends in the industry and what's happening. So we've set up a low carbon division. That's an exciting new area with a lot of potential for the corporation. But also we've things like a global supply chain for the corporation now as well. So Previously, we used to have a chemical division supply chain. You know, fuels and lubes had their own supply chain and things like that. We think we can you know, get much more economy of scale, get much more efficiencies by leveraging that full size of ExxonMobil. So we have essentially an upstream division for the company, which really think of exploration and production of oil and gas products, kind of your traditional. Then we have ExxonMobil product solutions. So this is where we turn that into refined products. So our chemical division, our lubricants, so on and so forth. And that third major division is low carbon solutions. This is a new area for the company. I think they've committed to about $15 billion of investment in this area. And we think things like carbon capture, hydrogen, ammonia, different things have real potential for the future. IT is really a, a, a critical function for this corporation. We have a large division in it, and it's part of ExxonMobil technology. So we have a kind of technology division, and that includes things like our research and science area, so where we develop patents and where we look at the future, and we also have IT as kind of a partner organization in there as well. Myself, we're actually not in the IT division. That's an interesting kind of nuance of ExxonMobil. Our central data office is actually part of a corporate function, really separate from IT, and that's a very conscious decision for us. So we're really saying you know, the vision of our central data office is to maximize the value of ExxonMobil's data. And we have a very close partnership with IT, but we've consciously separated that out as uh, two different departments. That's really interesting. I, this is the first time I've heard of that kind of structure. You, you may be leading a new trend. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're not the first to do it, but I think you know, if you say, hey, data is an asset, you know, data is an area of investment and growth and things like that, it takes a different mindset from just a pure technology play. And so obviously our, our technology selections, our choices are driven by that IT department 
very close partnership with it. But we make that real conscious decision to say we need to understand the business. We need to treat data as an enabler to business capabilities. And, you know, the goal for data is to provide insights to the corporation, which ultimately leads to action and decisions. And that's our real goal is to get from data to insights to action. And so I think being as close to the business who takes that action is a real key differentiator for us. Now, you said before you lead the company's central data office. So what's your job description and what are the data organization's goals over the next couple of years? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I'll say, you know, formally my title is just manager of the central data office. And, you know, I'll say two years ago I, I took on this role. I was one of eight people who uh, actually was asked to create the central data office. And so since then, we've built an organization that exists in 13 countries. Now we have staff, so a very large global presence. And, you know, it's a real shift from, you know, building principles, building philosophies, actually now having a functioning, true global central data office. You know, our goal is really to build, you know, the data products that are used for both applications and analytics across the corporation to drive reuse and consistency on our data. So we'll have very cautious strategies to say, hey, we're building a cash flow prediction model for the company. We think we could you know, do better job of managing our cash. You know, let's make sure the same financial data that's being put into that is also used for the analytics we're using for sales and marketing as well and different things. So that global scale, that reuse, that consistency of the data across both applications and analytics is a key goal and driver for our central data office. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like in your role, you really have to interface with all the different business units to both make sure that they're sharing and using data in a kind of a robust way and, and a generous, they're generous to each other, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I think if you want to achieve corporate scale, you suddenly start to see that consistency becomes even more important. Mm -hmm. So let's take something as simple as how do you calculate a profit margin? What data do you use to do that? I need to make sure that sales and marketing supply chain and trading are all kind of using that same data and are all coming up with the same answer. If you have... Right. Groups showing up with their own spreadsheets and their own calculations, you're going to be slow, you're going to be inefficient, you're going to debate things. If we drive them and say we're all using the same data, we're all using that same starting point, we can be much more effective. We can really leverage our corporate scale that way. Okay, very cool, very cool. Now, I notice you've been working at ExxonMobil for more than 24 years. You don't even look old enough to do that, but anyway. <laughs> so tell us about your career. What about your, you know, you've taken this kind of long journey. What are the most important leadership lessons you've learned along the way, and how are you applying them now? That's a great question. So, uh, you know, 24 years with the company, came right out of college and actually was hired in Canada by Imperial Oil, which, you know, Exxon owns approximately 70% of that company. So kind of an affiliate of, of the company and kind of moved to uh, three or four different cities throughout my career. And I've actually had 14 assignments over those 24 years. So very rich and rewarding career with this company with a lot of different experiences. I've been offshore on oil and gas platforms or on a rig looking for new finds. I've been to refineries. I've kind of been to many countries across the world. So really that opportunity to build that depth and experience. And I'll say that's one of my you know, greatest lessons is you know understanding the business, understanding your customer is critically important. I can remember showing up at a refinery one day, pitching the, the newest and greatest technology to them, how we could take advantage of this and do different things. And they were like, not interested in, at all. And they actually said to me, hey, you know, my problem is I, I, I can't find this flange. We just did this turnaround. We just shut down production and we had to delay for two days because we couldn't find a part. And here we were trying to pitch the latest technology and I didn't understand this problem. So well, why can't you find the part? And they said, well, let me show you. And they actually took me to what they call the lay down yard. 
the lay down yard was literally where they just lay down parts for this major work and turnaround. And they had taped cue cards and written details on the cue cards taped to all these different parts. And wow. shockingly, a cue card had fallen off and they had misplaced a part. And we had delayed startup of a major kind of component for two days. You know, technology could really help them. It was an easy solution for us to kind of help them in this area. But we weren't there on site. We never walked the lay down yard and we didn't understand their perspective. And if you can't help them on that, they're not going to listen to the latest and greatest technology and, and things that aren't even their top 10 issues. You need to understand what their real problems are and you need to kind of walk a mile in their shoes to understand how to help them. So that's one of the great things we've been able to learn over this kind of, kind of wide ranging career through this company. With ExxonMobil's creation of the new low-carbon solutions business and the completion last year of its first ESG report, the company seems to be focusing more on sustainability issues. How do information technology and data support those efforts? Yeah, this is a really exciting area for us, and you know, the demand for data in this, in this area is very key for us. One of the things we've actually done is we've joined a kind of a open consortium called OpenFootprint.org, and they actually working on a global standard for an emissions data model. And so this is an area where we say, hey, let's contribute to the standard, not just accept the existing standard. So we're kind of actively contributing to the community in this space. And we really think that there's a lot of value in our data and not necessarily a proprietary data model. So we believe in open standards and really want to say, how do we build this data? How do we get this data ready? Not just for government reporting in the future, which is going to come, but also for those internal business decisions. Yeah. And I think ultimately, if you look in the market, if we're going to have low carbon products out there, you have to be able to prove that they're low carbon products. Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to defend that and, and be able to market that. And so having the right data and the insights to be able to kind of make those decisions and inform your customers ultimately is a critical differentiator for us. So how does ExxonMobil use data and data analytics to reduce its own carbon footprint, to, to, you know, to reduce it, to manage it, to you know, get the metrics? Yeah, I think, you know, this is obviously an important area for us. And you look at a lot of different data sources. I mean, there's kind of mass data, but there's things like, you know, how do you measure what's happening on the flare stack? And you have real-time data and sensors on there, and you can kind of make informed decisions. You know, is there a methane leak? Is there something going on that was unexpected? If you have the data and if you have that in a timely manner, you can react and you can kind of be proactive back on there. So ultimately, you know, long-term ExxonMobil's goal is to be, you know, you know, carbon neutral for scope one and scope two emissions as we kind of produce our products. Mm -hmm. That is not an insignificant task. And there's a lot of activity and plans going on in there that are really driving key decisions for the future of ExxonMobil. Yeah, I got that. Now, flaring, is it, I mean, I know that flaring of natural gas is done traditionally. Is it, in fact, possible to eliminate it, to capture it all? I will say that, you know, you know, how to reduce it or eliminate or capture it. I mean, when you think about what is flaring, flaring is is releasing of a product. And you yeah. know, saying, can I capture that and use it? And can I ultimately maybe even market that product? There are ways to do it smarter and there are ways to do it better. And we gotcha. know that. And we're trying to be leaders in that. Very good. Now, with so many companies realizing the importance of data analytics and the success of their businesses, there's a real scramble going on across the country for technical talent. How is ExxonMobil dealing with that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. There, there's no, there's no question that there's a drive and a capture of talent, and those who have that is uh, is going to be a key differentiator in the future. One of the things we're actually working hard on is to kind of build up the knowledge in house in our company as well. So not don't not only how do you recruit talent, but how do you 
grow the knowledge base? How do you grow the community in there? So we actually have a data culture team within our central data office, and we have a community of practice of over 3,000 members of it. So it is fascinating for us nowadays when someone comes out of school as an engineer, they have taken Python, they have taken R, they've taken programming language, they know about machine learning, they know about these kind of capabilities. Um, you know, more often than not, when we go to say, how do we leverage that and how do we grow it? We're, we're surprised and impressed with the skills that are there that we have not been tapping into in the, in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we actually run quarterly a kind of hackathon, a competition. We you know, take some data, we make it available, and we get, you know, 300 plus teams kind of competing. We get people from over a dozen countries submitting you know, their analysis and insights into some data. And some of those submissions, you know, it's not uncommon for us to take the top two, for example, and put them into production, actually capture value from the insights that we've done from just a, in your spare time, we'll see what you can do with this. So tapping into your community and growing that community is part of it. Obviously, you need to retrain talent, you need to recognize talent, you need to grow and provide, you know, the career paths and show people that you can grow within this company. But building on the base that you have is also a critical thing as well. Yeah, yeah. So I guess you mentioned a data culture team. What exactly is that? If you believe that your data is an asset and you believe that, hey, data is an area for investment in your corporation, that's a cultural change. That's a mindset that you have to do. So we actually have a whole kind of targeted plan to say, hey, how do you educate and train everybody in this company? So there's a broad persona. We're trying to say everyone should know how the basics of what is a data product? Why is, why is data an asset? Why is this important to the corporation? But then we have very targeted plans to say, hey, managers and supervisors, here's the training path and a program for you. Senior executives for the company, here's what you need to know. You're making massive investment decisions. And if data is an asset, we're going to say, how do you plan when you're making this new project investment? What data are you potentially new producing? How else could that data potentially be used? Are you planning for that in advance? Are you planning for that upfront? And so we're really trying to say, Different personas, different approaches. How do you change their mindset? How do you make them more aware so when we make key decisions, when we do things, people have that data mindset? Yeah, got it, got it. So when and why did ExxonMobil begin moving applications and data to the cloud? Yeah, you know, it's been a, a, a multi-year journey for mm-hmm. us in this one. You know, Exxon has been around for over 135 years. And so it's probably not too surprising we have lots of legacy systems as well. But we've really been consciously going at really – Early 2000s, we've been kind of you know going, but in the last five years or so, we've been kind of earnestly going to say, you know, really push, let's go to the cloud, let's kind of take our technology, let's move off of those on-premise systems and really start taking advantage of the capabilities we have in the cloud. And so we've put together a very comprehensive data platform strategy, for example, and say, hey, how many platforms does this company actually want and need? You know, what is the technology set behind those? How do you migrate those legacy systems into the cloud? Which ones go first? And those types of things. So really trying to you know, pull that together. And, you know, it's one of those fascinating things that you'll realize because you're an old company, because you've been distributed in the past, how much data was trapped and siloed into different systems and different platforms. And as we started bringing it to the cloud and bringing that data together, we have new insights and new capabilities enabled with things we couldn't easily do in the past. We can now so much easier take advantage of through that cloud. Okay, gotcha. Now, Snowflake's data cloud is one of the platforms you talked about. When and why did ExxonMobil first connect with Snowflake and, and bring them in? Yeah, I would say we really started probably three to four years ago. Mm-hmm. I'd say four years ago it was very small. It was kind of learning and, and experimenting with what it can do. And obviously we've grown significantly since then. For us in the cloud, our, our main data storage platform is now Snowflake and our kind of our growth in the cloud in that sense 
is through that Snowflake platform. So it is a kind of major strategic choice for us to go with Snowflake. And that effort to consolidate down and you know remove kind of the various platforms we've had in the past is all migrating now to a Snowflake environment. You know, Snowflake has some specific advantages to us. It is cloud agnostic. You know, as a global company and it operating in many, many regions, we sometimes have to take the cloud provider that's in the region for performance reasons, not just going with one provider. So we have some kind of advantages with Snowflake in that sense. And then obviously, you know, truly scalable compute that's available on Snowflake is very appealing to us. We need to grow, you can easily do so. But also just as importantly from a cost management perspective, the able to, ability to turn off compute and scale down when you don't need it is right. uh, you know, something that allows us to manage effectively our technology as well. Right, right. So are all the global business units and functions standardizing on Snowflake or is it kind of a patchwork? No, part of our data platform strategy is to say you cannot create your own data platform they right. kind of getting into the central data office and our IT partners in that space. So we may not ever get to 100%. I think there's sometimes there's niche technologies and specific needs to right. say, hey, we're going to do something special and unique in this area. But we're really targeting 90 plus percent of what we want to do in the cloud. It's yeah. going to go into our consistent platform strategy. Yeah. And what are the most important uses of the Snowflake platform? Yeah. I mean, for us, it's actually a wide ranging platform. We're taking real important groups like our trading and our supply team, our finance data is kind of going on there. Our, our reliability maintenance, our operational equipment data is coming into the space as well. So there's a lot of fascinating and interesting things that we kind of say underpinning that is our Snowflake environment. You know, just an example, we're working on a cash flow prediction model. That's clearly in the, in the finance space today. We're looking at what we can do in sales and marketing and, you know, how do you, how you do kind of inventory optimization and different things. And that's running through our Snowflake environment as right. well, I think. So it's almost hard to pin it down because it's such a core central part that it is kind of foundational to a lot of different yeah. things for us. Yeah, yeah. So where does the relationship go next? Yeah, that's a great question. We're really interested in the roadmap and the future of what the Snowflake is going to be. Again, we primarily use it as our data storage kind of thing. And you know, they have a, you know a vision and a roadmap for Snowflake where you can start bringing your application to the data instead of bringing your data to the application. And that's really an interesting area for us. You know, the less copies you make of the data, the easier it is to govern and manage, the more consistent you can have your data. So if you can start having an environment where Snowflake it leaves the data in their environment and applications just tap into it instead of having to build data pipelines and transform data and move it around. That's really interesting and appealing for us. So we're very curious to see what happens next in that space for us. It's an area that has to mature, quite frankly. I think yeah. it's kind of the future and, and that's where it's going. And we're really eager to see if a marketplace of applications really does evolve that can kind of take advantage of leaving the data in, in your Snowflake environment. Yeah, yeah. So help me understand this a little more. You know, moving the application to the data, does that actually mean that, that the applications are running in Snowflake? That's absolutely right. Your traditional model today is you have a new application and you copy the data out of Snowflake into that application. You let it run. If it does transformations, if it produces new data, then I have to copy that same data back. Oh, I, I have see, to reconcile it. Right. And if you if you think about it as some of our core data, and let me give an example, our customer data, we push it to over 20 different applications of a master customer data. And it's moving all the time. It's 
and you know that's just applications and and all the analytics are going on top of it every time i copy that data to a new application now i have to reconcile it did you change something if i did change them how do i get it back into my snowflake environment how do i keep everything in sync that's a lot of governance work and effort to do that right and quite frankly there's cost there's cost too if you're copying your data and now you have it in two different places three different places four different places you know that that transfer those pipelines and that storage storage costs go up and up and so if you can build applications and say i'm just going to leave the data where it is i'm going to directly edit and access the data that sits in that environment it reduces the chance for inconsistencies in your data it reduces your costs so it's a much more efficient environment for us so the real question is are, are the application players motivated to do that and move to that environment or not yeah yeah and are they are they showing signs of that yeah, there are there are a lot of exciting startup companies that are in that space. Mm, we've okay. uh, we've had some interesting conversations with a company like Elementum, you know, who kind of does exactly that. So we know there are players in there, and there's a, there's a growth in there. It's mainly in, in the emerging and startup companies phases and things like that. These are you know, small to medium sized companies. You know, the big big players aren't quite there yet, and I think they're actually watching and seeing the early successes that yeah. are going. Space. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Now, broader than Snowflake, looking ahead over the next year or so, what are the major technology and data trends that you see taking hold? Obviously, it's probably hard to get it through a podcast without talking about Gen AI and yeah. large language models these days. And you know, We're at peak hype for this yes. uh, type of technology. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you, know, you see that pull. And I'll say the interesting thing from a central data office perspective is, you know, we often now have a conversation with the business. Do you have the data quality to actually achieve what you want to achieve? Right. And so you, we actually come in and we're really getting a lot of demand and pull now to say, hey, I want to do this. I want to use generative AI in you know in procurement, for example. I want to be able to look across, just ask questions across all my contract data, be able to see insights and patterns and things that I've never been able to see before. I'm like, great. You know, what, what's the data quality in this area? What you know, what kind of systems do we have? How is that data stored today and things like that? We also have to take the business back to say, hey, these are the enablers. And we'll, we've actually gone in and saying, this data is ready for advanced analytics, you know, generative AI, and this data sets are not. And there's prerequisites to do to go before that. So, you know, that, there's a real big pull and there's a lot of excitement for that. And I think, you know, quite frankly, the business doesn't always understand beyond the hype of what is generative AI versus, hey, what is advanced analytics? What is machine learning do? And what is the best tool for the job? So sometimes those are starter conversations and we kind of guide them to the right technology and the right solutions and say, what's the business objective you're trying to achieve? And let, let's you know find the best way to do that rather than just necessarily jumping on generative AI, for example. Yeah, yeah. I see the future. What a fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? Andrew, I'm going to ask you to put on your visionary cap now. Looking ahead several years, how do you expect data management and data analytics to transform business and even society? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's no question. I think there's going to be you know, great success with Geneva in the future and businesses are catching on. We're still in the you know learning and experimenting space with most companies. I think you know, we're probably, honestly, 18 months out from major corporations truly having breakthroughs through this technology. But I think, you know, again, the key for us is if your data is ready, whether it's generative AI or other advanced analytics or machine learning and things like that, you can quickly take advantage of it if you have your data ready to go, especially for us, that corporate scale. If I have all my inventory and all my equipment data and all my financial data ready to go, you know, the newest technology, the newest opportunity comes out, we can really quickly react and move. And that's really what we're working on with our business customers. That's very smart. 
For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. We like to end the podcast on a more personal or a lighter note. I'm wondering, you know, when we talked before, you talked about your daughters, your three daughters, and how you get involved in their lives. So tell me about that. That It really seems like there's an intersection between some some of the stuff you're doing there and, and the way you think about your work. Yeah, obviously I've been blessed with, with a wonderful wife and three beautiful daughters, but there's always interesting intersections between data and, and that passion I have in, in my children's life. And one of the interesting examples for me is I have a daughter who's into competitive volleyball. And, you know, at first, your dad, you're just supporting your child and doing different things. She's now uh, 16 years old. And for the last few two and a half years, she's been getting advanced analytics being done in your, your children's sports nowadays. And wow. so you actually can, you know, if you can imagine, I can go back to her last season and she's a defensive player on a volleyball team. And, you know, last season she picked up 638 serves or something like that. And wow. it'll actually rate the quality now. Here's a scale from zero to three. What were the quality of all those ones? And if you want nowadays with these data and analytic insights, say, show me all the quality zero serves or show me all the quality threes. And it'll queue up a video and show you every single serve that you want to see in that category and things like that. And so for a father whose daughter has a passion for the sport, and I also have a passion for data and analytics, this is sort of a match made in heaven, perhaps even to a point where my daughter will tell you, that's enough analytics, Dad. I appreciate yeah, that. Just enough. let me play. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a wonderful story, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Mm-hmm. No, I think this has been a great conversation. ExxonMobil is such a giant, sprawling company. And to hear you talk about kind of how you wrangle data is really, I think, very useful for a lot of our listeners. I was particularly interested in a couple of the points you made. The idea that you separate the management of data from IT, maybe you're, I think you're probably a pioneer in that area. And I think that's just the recognition that data is an enabler of all the business capabilities. And you have this whole the kind of motto, data to insight to action. I think that's you know, sometimes it's really clear if you if you keep it simple. And then the other thing I thought was really interesting was when you talked about the data culture team, how you're basically, you know, training everybody in the company to understand the value of data and to apply it. It's almost like you're sending everybody, including the CEO, to, uh, to data school. And I think that is a uh, a really great model that uh, that other companies might want to follow. I think it's, uh, you know, if, if you have these kind of, I don't know, separations between, quote, the business side and the technology side or the data side, that's really a barrier to, uh, to using the data. So I, I applaud you for that. And uh, thanks very much for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, I certainly enjoyed the conversation. And, you know, it's an exciting area for data. And I think, you know, the growth and the potential for data analytics for all companies is you really, the sky's the limit. There's uh, an exciting future in front of us. How you approach data will define what's possible for your organization. Data engineers, data scientists, application developers, and a host of other data professionals who depend on the Snowflake Data Cloud continue to thrive thanks to a decade of technology breakthroughs. But that journey is only the beginning. Catch up on all the latest announcements from Snowflake Summit, including advancements with generative AI and LLMs, flexible programmability, application development, and much more. Watch now at snowflake.com slash summit slash livestream.